It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy weekend to you. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour and joined as we are every Saturday by Nathan, tall guy Nathan at the board. How are you today, Nathan? Hey, good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And guess what? It's that time of year again. Time for the NFL playoffs. I'm not sure who you are for. I know you were for the Rays and the MLB uh, World Series, so I'm not sure if you're for the Buccaneers, but you have roots in Seattle, so who are you for? I was born in Baltimore. (laughs) He was born in Baltimore. He likes the Ravens. I like the Bears. So we've got three games today, three games tomorrow for those people who are interested in football. And we'll watch to see how the Seahawks do. I really can't pick and ordinarily I'll have some sense I hone in a bit uh, come playoff time about who's going to show up in the Super Bowl and uh, I don't have a perfect track record by any means but I don't do too badly with my prognostications this year all bets are off as far as I'm concerned they had to change the whole system not even having preseason games and now we have this expanded playoff format with these various seeds and I'm just not sure who's going to end up on top I will say this Nathan for historical purposes I think it would be amazing and with Brady at 43 years of age Tom Brady what if he quarterbacked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to their second Super Bowl appearance and did so in their own stadium because the Super Bowl's in Tampa this year I know it's gonna be something crazy one wouldn't that be amazing (laughs) we decided not to get tickets yeah (laughs) Uh, I think it's better to stay home there's gonna be so many people going to the game because they're uh, just so COVID fatigued and I'm thinking that really the smart thing is to stay home, but, you know, there's going to be people going to the game and hopefully they maintain that proper distancing. Well, let me ask you that before we get on with our subject of the day. This, this is show is in honor of Elvis Presley, whose birthday anniversary was yesterday. And we're going to get to that very shortly with our buddy Corey Cooper, expert on all things Elvis. But I am curious to know, given that we're dealing with the COVID-19 resurgent pandemic, this thing just doesn't seem to want to go away. What are the rules as far as NFL attendance? How many people can be let in through the gates? You know, I think that's just up to the NFL. And I know they've been having really limited capacity. I can't really remember what it was like for the MLB playoffs, but they kept them all in one stadium, which is kind of interesting because part of the MLB was, you know, each team had their chance to be in their home stadium, but now it's just in one kind of default stadium. So... We'll see what happens. It's going to be pretty similar, but the attendance is going to be really low. Probably no more than, I would say, 10,000 people in attendance. That makes sense. Yes, and of course, with the Seahawks, noise is always a favorable factor that may be muted somewhat, though they seem to blend in a lot of noise electronically. It's been a fascinating exercise in coping with a pandemic in the world of professional sports. This whole NFL season has been unique, that's for sure. And so that's what... Good luck to everyone. May the best teams win, and we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And we'll be playing the Rams, so we've always struggled against them. Last time we played them, pretty good outing. Uh, gave them a pretty good run for their money and beat them pretty handily, but... The track record shows that Rams have always been a really 
tough team to contend with with the Seahawks. That is true. It's going to be very interesting to see how that turns out. Well, thank you, Nathan. Glad to have you aboard once again. And once again, we're going to be talking to Corey Cooper. Suzanne's got the bio ready to read. We're going to talk about Elvis Presley because we want to honor the king of rock and roll. Yesterday was his birthday. And also, I think we just need a break. I just, I'm, I'm on a nostalgia trip all of a sudden. I take a lot of comfort from going back to lives extremely well lived in almost all respects when you talk about Elvis Aaron Presley. But also, God, the, the news is too much with us. Mm-hmm. Someone once said yeah. the world is too much with us. And I think I get their meaning this week. So yep. we want to talk about Elvis instead. Glad for the break. All right. Corey Cooper is with us. Go for it. Renowned Elvis Presley historian. Corey Cooper is a noted authority on the life and music of Elvis Presley, who regularly contributes to books, radio shows, movies, and television projects. He's been a contributor to a variety of Elvis publications and to e-entertainment online. As a sought-out authority on Presley, Cooper draws from his vast knowledge and his deep ties to others in the Elvis world. Included among his contacts are authors, band members, performers, and members of the Memphis Mafia, the close group of bodyguards, friends, and employees that worked with and protected Elvis Presley. We are happy to bring him on once again to talk about all things Elvis. Welcome, Corey Cooper. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be back on with you, too. Do you have a, a favorite in the football games, or are we done with football, Corey? You know, I do, but sadly, the Arizona Cardinals did not make the playoffs. But if Elvis were here, he would be very excited because the Cleveland Browns was his favorite team. The Cleveland Browns. Was he a big Jim Brown fan then? That's exactly why he was a big Jim Brown fan. And if he Jim wasn't Brown. for the Browns, he would root for the Steelers. But the, the Cleveland Browns was his first team. Uh, Jim Brown, he who carried multiple players on his sturdy back as he would ride his way into the end zone. There's footage, if you ever see James Brown, Jim Brown, who is widely regarded as the greatest NFL player of all time. And you'd see him rambling into the end zone and he had two or three guys hanging on to him for dear life trying to bring him down (laughs) (laughs) just an amazing player in the cleveland browns of old were something to behold 1964 champions of the nfl at the expense of my beloved baltimore colts but we won't go there i think we already did and uh, today they're at first time i think in uh, 18 years or something that they've made the playoffs this is amazing so uh enough of football and elvis presley had his favorites i didn't even know about that if he were still around i think he'd be a tennessee titans fan myself yeah i'm sure he would be now you know there, there was, used to be a semi-pro league in uh, memphis and he used to go to the, some of those games once in a while too but uh, one of the reasons why elvis loves staying in memphis he could actually go out and have a life and not have everybody disturb his peace and he can enjoy himself yeah if he was alive today yesterday he would have been 85 can you imagine an 85 year old elvis we get to remember him as young unfortunately you know passing away in 1977 but still celebrated he would be happy with you because you made him actually a year younger (laughs) oh i did 86 born in 1935 
they're oh gen- that's right it's 21 well, ah. it, this is unimpeachable information it's from wikipedia come on give me a break all right 86 86 you know, 2020 aren't you when you have to write things down yeah yes. like a month that's right that's right okay 86 <laughs> let me read this to you Corey, from wikipedia elvis aaron presley january 8 1935 to august 16 1977 also known simply as elvis was an american singer musician and actor he is regarded as one of the most significant cultural icons of the 20th century and is often referred to as the king of rock and roll or simply the king he his energized interpretations of songs and sexually provocative performance style combined with a singularly potent mix of influences across color lines during a transformative era in race relations led him to great success and initial controversy and I guess that's where I'd like to pick it up with you, Corey. Being born in 1935, I mean, you know, you're newly born in the world and the world had no idea of what was going to uh, come upon them to be visited by greatness and destiny in, in the person of Elvis Aaron Presley. Post-depression. Post-depression, but also at a time when we weren't to, to mass consciousness anyway, we weren't yet at the crossroads of what race relations would look like with all of the struggle, all of the, all of the death, quite frankly, uh, all of the need for America to come to terms with itself. And aren't we doing that once again in 2021? And yet here was Elvis Presley, quote me uh, or correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Corey, but it seems to me that Elvis was unabashedly willing to incorporate influences from black musicians and he did so happily and with a sense of harmony for the sake of the music that he could produce oh absolutely you know and it's always a misnomer once in a while when the the media or the press or certain authors want to get out there and try to to say that uh, you know elvis was not for the african-american crowds and uh, which is so not true i mean elvis elvis was colorblind and elvis loved everybody and his music was for everybody and you know and, and you got to think Elvis, because he broke down that barrier of music, he, he opened the door for so many other artists that might have only just been local or regional acts. And, you know, I mean, ask and see quotes from B.B. King and James Brown and Little Richard, what Elvis meant to them. And you really see that true impact of, of what he did for music and for everybody globally. You know, one of the things that still amazes me after all these years is that you still have groups of people dressing as Elvis and, and doing these Elvis impersonations. And I started thinking to myself, is there any other entertainer that has people doing that for them? And I couldn't come up with another one. I can't think of another entertainer who has all these impersonators going on. Can you, Gary? Um, no, I definitely cannot. I, for one, I'm very grateful that there aren't any skydiving beetles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one icon in that regard is enough. <laughs> you know, that's a great point. And the only other person I can think of would be maybe Marilyn Monroe is about it. Oh, you know, yes. Yeah, you do that, get Marilyn Monroe a, in a, person. male entertainer, yeah, I don't, there's just, there's nobody else. You know, Elvis... Elvis set the stage perfectly for that, though. I mean, the look and the hair and the costumes and the movements. I mean, he left so much there for people to associate with. So, I mean, it's only fitting there would be so many tribute artists out there. 
And you know, it's interesting that you can kind of look backward and appreciate it more than when it's going on at the time, because at the time that people are uh, going over the line, they're inventing something new, they're creating themselves outside of the norm or outside of the box, um, you know, you get a lot of blowback from that. You know, what, what's with this guy? Why is he moving his hips like that? You know, you can't even photograph him from the waist down. I mean, crazy stuff going on. But isn't that always the way when someone is introducing something brand new? Well, exactly. And especially with, with Elvis. I mean, you know, there's been nothing like that. I mean, the atomic powered singer, as they used to bill him. But I mean, yeah, he comes out, he's got this look, he's got the longer hair than everybody. He's this handsome, charismatic guy with this different kind of voice and, and music that nobody's heard. And, I mean, my gosh, what a sensation. I mean, can you imagine those times back then in the 50s? I mean, you know, TV shows couldn't show people, uh, married couples, sleeping in the same bed. I mean, it was such a different time. And then here comes Elvis out there, and, oh, my gosh, he's just going to he's gonna corrupt the youth of America, as so many people thought back then, and having record-breaking and burning parties and oh my gosh let's ban elvis from our city he's just going to turn everything upside down and god it's just crazy and then you think about it now look how tame that is compared to what we see now i mean it, it, we're, i think we're so desensitized to anything like that that it's, it's hard to understand the impact that elvis made back then and and that's really what i'm saying he was edgy for his time you know and then we have whatever edgy is today and 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 so he was a leader. He was a cultural leader in that way. But what what's interesting to me is that how many uh, fan clubs still exist. How many people do the impersonations? How he is still revered after all these years, and still making an impact. I mean, the man passed away almost forty four years ago. And guess what? Now with this horrible and tragic pandemic going on. Elvis is still influencing people to do the correct things because back in 1956 with the polio vaccine, they needed somebody to be a, a big celebrity to show America and the, and the world that it's safe to take the polio vaccine. And guess who did that? Good old Elvis. I and did not second, know that. On the second Ed Sullivan show, he got the inoculation to show, hey, it's safe. Everybody go out and get inoculated. And, and that's what he did. So how amazing is that? I mean, oh, the man's been It's amazing and also makes him a role model for that type of practice. This is, in essence, public relations. Public relations often has a bad name, and I think many times justifiably so. But PR can do a great deal of good. You mentioned Elvis Presley getting that inoculation. I did not know that. I think that is amazing and wonderful for the body politic, not just the body human, but the body politic. Imagine, Corey, if we had people who were intent on encouraging black Americans who have a history of being turned into guinea pigs. That's just a fact of history and very regrettable. What if you had Michael Jordan, LeBron James, uh, Denzel Washington, people who are at the at the. Uh, highest point of black American life, in fact, American culture generally, who have really made it, they are immortal, if they went out and did likewise, as Barack Obama intends to do, if that were to happen, look how much better we would do in vaccinating people against a deadly scourge like COVID-19. Oh, 
absolutely. You know, and and the talk has been out there in the social circles lately to try to. I mean, obviously, you're not going to find a celebrity as famous as Elvis Presley, but the search is on out there, and and it's been a big debate of what celebrity could they find in today's youth and popularity to try to do the same thing Elvis did back in the 50s. You know, and they'd be throwing out names like Lady Gaga and Beyonce. I mean, great stars in their own right, but I mean, it's certainly not Elvis. But if those people came out and did the same thing that Elvis did, I mean, what a great impact it could have on a lot of people to show, hey, go out and get the shot. Absolutely. And because seniors are disproportionately affected by this virus, if it were up to me, by God, now I wish I had majored in PR. Now these ideas come <laughs> yeah, to Betty me. Betty White? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that's really pushing it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Betty White. And in the black community, Stevie Wonder. You know, let's hit this generationally and multi-ethnically because there's a war going on, and the war is against something you can't even see, an invisible enemy, unless you're looking through an electron microscope, that is devastating this country. I don't mean to get on a soapbox. It's just that, my goodness, I, oh, now is it 22 million as of this morning, 22 million recorded cases of the virus, and you know there are many more that remain undetected because we haven't tested everybody. So we need all the role models we can find. And there was Elvis Presley back in the day showing how it's done. Isn't that amazing? You know, and, and after that, I mean, it's, that's, Elvis, you know, the man only lived for 42 years, but it's amazing the things that he accomplished in that time. I mean, he did 31 movies. He toured all over America. You know, he, he recorded almost 600 songs. I mean, the guy was just, he, he really packed it in in those 42 years. Well, he absolutely did, and he did it while fighting the personal demon of his own weight gain and just trying to regulate his body, which all of us have faced in one form or another if we've lived long enough. And, and still he kept going until his heart gave out. He gave his heart to his fans, to his music, to uh, not just the iconography that built up around Elvis and the legend, but his interaction with the human race over which he had so much influence. It's exceptionally uh, remarkable when you look at the history of popular culture in this country. Oh, it, it is so much. And, and you mentioned the influence. And can you imagine, I mean, John Lennon and Paul McCartney said they didn't even get interested in music or pick up a guitar until they heard Elvis. I mean, it is, just, it is endless. It goes on and on. I mean, Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, you know, Ricky Medlock from Blackfoot. I mean, it just, it goes on and on, the influence of people that were like, hey, I didn't even, I didn't even know anything about music or interested until I heard an Elvis Presley record. And I, I think that influence still goes on today. I know that Paul McCartney said to an interviewer that he regarded meeting Elvis Presley, which occurred exactly one time, and with some initial discomfort on the part of both sides about getting together and what that would feel like and what it would look like. So they did it very privately. But McCartney said that meeting Elvis Presley was one of the highlights of his life, and his life has known many a highlight. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I remember hearing Robert Plant as well from Led Zeppelin speaking about meeting Elvis, and they had like a little fun sing-along back and forth for a few seconds of, a, of, of, of Love Me, one of Elvis's songs. And, and I just, I love hearing those stories because, you, you know, you're seeing these legends that we like of music talking about another legend, and, they're, and then they become real and a fan like we are. And it's neat to hear these remembrances.
I'd like to to get some more details from you, Corey, about that legendary meeting. We know it occurred, but we don't know any of the details that were not released in interviews because it was not filmed. And that was by mutual agreement. This was their time together, a singular event. Tell us about the day that the Beatles went to meet Elvis Presley. Yeah, isn't that amazing? The two biggest acts at the time, and they only met once. And they met in one of Elvis's homes in Southern California. This was, would have been in August of 65. And, yeah, there was no, uh, there, there is a few, there's a handful of pictures I've seen. But they're not, you know, they're not inside the house. They're outside the house. And they're, they're kind of from far away. But it is neat to see those, at least. But, yeah, that, that's about it. There was no recordings. Can you imagine? And there was actually a, a little impromptu jam session that they supposedly did. And, and nobody, nobody, you know, it's not like today where everybody can record and film everything. But can you imagine if somebody would have to have that kind of recording, the Beatles and Elvis singing together? But, yeah, they met up that one time. They were big fans, of course. They wanted to meet Elvis. Elvis was... Uh, kind of uh, in a different part of his career in the mid-60s. He was just doing the movies and movie soundtracks, no live performance. And this meeting gets set up, and they go to meet Elvis, and they show up, and both sides are a little nervous, and nobody knows what to do. They just kind of stare at each other, and nobody's really talking. And uh, finally, Elvis kind of breaks the ice and says, well, you know, well, boys, if nobody's going to talk, I'm just going to go to bed. And at that point, everybody kind of laughed and giggled, and uh, they started talking, and spent a few hours together, and Ringo went off and played pool with some of the, the bodyguards and staff that Elvis had employed, and, and they ended up having a good time. And, uh, but yeah, that was it, the one and only meeting. My understanding of it is that Paul decided that because things were uneasy and the meeting could easily have broken up at that point, he decided the best thing to do is to pick up a guitar and start playing Elvis songs. Somebody who knows Beatles history can correct me. That's what I heard. That's all I'm saying. But Paul, who always played the role of diplomat among the Beatles, that was kind of his uh, unofficial role coming from his own personality versus the very sharp edged and, and uh, plain spoken, shall we say, John Lennon. There, there was that softer side to smooth out the rough edges of the Beatles, and that was Paul. And so I think what he decided was if we start playing music, we can extend this day and we will redeem ourselves in this moment by playing songs. And then once they were jamming, they were having a great time. Yeah, I just wish somebody would have hit the record button. What a fantastic audio that would have been. Corey, when you're uh, saying that Elvis only lived to be 42 and did 600 songs and movies and all the stuff that he was into, the fact that he did get together with the Beatles was quite phenomenal, only for the fact that Elvis seemed to be an extremely hard worker and extremely dedicated to his own music. But I'm wondering if you're aware of other famous groups or other famous singers that he got with similarly, because I would have thought he, he'd hardly have any time. Yeah, and Elvis wasn't a guy that went out to, you know, fancy restaurants or awards shows or big get-togethers. I mean, you weren't going to see Elvis in, you know, showing up on the red carpet at some uh, movie or, or music awards show. He just didn't do that type of stuff, and he, he wasn't a big social gatherer at events like that. But, of course, he did meet just about, you know, a who's who of, of music at the time. I mean, and, and, and I think it's neat, too. You'll, you'll hear remembrances if you look up with David Bowie and Elton John and and 
people like that 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 did get to meet Elvis. I mean, in fact, with Alice Cooper, there's even a a fun story that Alice Cooper likes to tell. And when, when he met Elvis one time, and uh, Elvis wanted to show Alice Cooper his karate moves, and at one point he actually Elvis handed Alice a gun and said, "This is what you do for defensive tactics." And and Alice Cooper's sitting there going, "Whoa, I'm hanging out meeting Elvis, and I got this loaded gun, and he's showing me karate moves." I mean, I just I, I love hearing that stuff because it just it humanizes Elvis and it and it makes it fun and different from a lot of the stuff that we hear and see in the media about Elvis. Right, and that's that's exactly what I was talking about. You know, like who else did he interact with when um, when in his short life he was just an incredibly prolific prolific singer and uh, and movie star. If we're going to mention gunplay, Corey, as we come up on a break here shortly. Please tell the story. I guess it's not apocryphal. This apparently really happened, according to the Memphis Mafia. And I'm curious to know what occasioned it. But supposedly, Elvis once shot out a television in his own home. <laughs> Several. Yeah, Elvis Several. was a gun auto for sure. And uh, yeah, you know, Elvis, you know, not only did he shoot a few television sets in his lifetime, he, he actually even shot one of his cars one time. He had a uh, brand new... Uh, yellow Pantera, and he uh, drove through the gates of Graceland, and the thing stalled, and he tried to start it a few times, and it wouldn't start. So he, he pulled out a gun and shot it three or four times and walked up <laughs> to the house. I'm sorry no, that they, wasn't in the car collection that, that, we saw, that we saw at Graceland. Suzanne and I made one tour. In one day, we went to Graceland, did the tour, loved it, and then, because we were on our way back home during a road trip, we stopped off that very same day in Tupelo, Mississippi, and visited Elvis's birthplace from the end back to the beginning, tripping back in time. That was an amazing experience. And wouldn't you know, Corey, there, was, there were a couple of guys visiting America from the Netherlands. And we got talking out there in Tupelo, and they said they were visiting Tupelo, making their way to Graceland. And I said, well, we've done it in reverse and we just remarked on how interesting it is that you can follow the timeline of Elvis in that way. And it, you can do it in a day. Oh, absolutely. Because Tupelo is only, what, 45 minutes, an hour maybe from, from Memphis. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to go see Graceland, you might as well make that trek to Tupelo. And that was an amazing thing. Speaking of, El of uh, Elvis and Ed Sullivan, who was the one who determined that there would be no showing of Elvis below the waist, that was a bit controversial. It created a stir. There is a picture in Graceland. You've been there too, Corey. Maybe you remember this. But there is a uh, framed photo, fairly large one, on the wall at one of the exhibits. And it is of Ed Sullivan having a word with Elvis before his performance. And what's interesting to me about that is Elvis is there putting the tongue to his teeth, the roof of his mouth, as it were, like holding his tongue. When I looked at that, I remember thinking, oh, Elvis there is indulging Ed Sullivan because Ed was passing on some avuncular wisdom to Elvis before he appeared on his show there. And you can see Elvis listening politely, but really having a pretty clear idea of what he wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think I do remember seeing that picture. You know, and the great thing about the Ed Sullivan appearances too, because Elvis did three of them within a few months of each other. And the great thing about that is that at the beginning, Ed Sullivan was not ever going to have Elvis on his show. He thought he was just a 
too dramatic and, and outspoken and overdone, and he, he thought it was a little bit vulgar and just not made out for his show. But after seeing that Elvis had been on the stage show with the Dorsey Brothers and the Steve Allen show and the ratings that those shows got, uh, Ed Sullivan decided, well, we better get Elvis on our show. And so obviously he did, and Elvis made three appearances. And it was only on that last show, oddly enough, the last appearance that they filmed Elvis from the waist down. I guess they finally thought that, uh, you know, we better not show that because it's just going to be too outrageous. But a great thing that Ed Sullivan did that that helped Elvis at the time is that after the appearances, Ed Sullivan said on the show, and you'll see the clip, and he, he tells everybody that Elvis is a fine, upstanding young man. And uh, I think that was a big thing that, that helped with Elvis, you know, especially with a lot of parents who really were <laughs> not not aligned to be an Elvis fan because their their children were. So that was a great thing that Ed Sullivan did. Did he make his appearance on the Ed Sullivan show before or after the Beatles? Oh, definitely before the Beatles. Before I mean, his, his first, okay. yeah, his first show appearances on Ed Sullivan show were. In September of '56, October of '56, and then he made one appearance in early '57, and that was it. Okay. So yeah, it was predated well, a few years. Elvis paved the way for the Beatles then, because um, as reluctant as Ed Sullivan might have been to have Elvis, he actually sought out the Beatles, um, knowing that there was a big fan base among younger people, and probably Elvis paved that way for them. You know, it could have possibly been. I mean, maybe, maybe Ed Sullivan saw saw the ways and what the ratings were with yeah. these acts, whether, you know, he was really a fan of the performers or not. But uh, Right, right. And I don't think he would have been. We need to go ahead and take a break. We are talking to Elvis expert Corey Cooper. And all things Elvis is what we usually say about Corey. So give us a couple of minutes. We will be right back. And thank you for listening to Manson Mitchell on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see. Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful and 
you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome back Hank Garrett of Car 54, Where Are You? with more stories from his autobiography, From Harlem to Hollywood. On Saturday, Jody Levon, the happy medium, returns with her spiritual insights and exceptional mediumship ability. And yes, she will be taking calls for messages. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. Elvis Presley did it his way, and he was definitely on the cutting edge of what was happening in music for his time. We are talking with Elvis expert, Corey Cooper. You know, Corey, we were saying on the break that we personally know an Elvis impersonator. There are still many Elvis groups around. Maybe some people would like to know what you know about one thing or another. If somebody wanted to write to you, where where could they send an email and ask you about Elvis? Sure. Well, you know, I'm an old stalwart of AOL, so they could get me at uh, ElvisExpert at AOL.com. ElvisExpert at AOL.com if you want to connect with Corey Cooper, our Elvis expert. And uh, I'm thinking I'd like to go into this byway because it was so significant. And my God, the implications for the life and career of Elvis Presley. Corey, tell us about this radical shift it was, didn't last that long, a couple of years, but oh, the implications when Elvis Presley was drafted into the Army. Yeah, can you imagine that? I mean, you're at the, the peak of your stardom. You're this massive entertainer and star, and now you go to, to the Army for two years and leave all your fans behind. Uh, it was an amazing time. You know, the, as we've spoken before, too, they, they actually gave Elvis a, a two-month deferment so he could finish filming on the movie King Creole. But then, yeah, then Elvis leaves from 1958 to 1960. Elvis is in the Army, and he spends about 18 months of that two years in Germany. But Elvis doesn't perform, doesn't do shows. He could have been doing that and just uh, had light duty, but no. Nope. Elvis wanted to be and do what everybody else was doing, and so he was like any other typical soldier, and he didn't get any special treatment. Um, I think that also helped his appeal and his outlook with with the general public that may not have been Elvis fans at that time, because uh, he went and, and did his, his, his civic duty. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I can imagine most people of any fame trying to get out of it. There is a TV monitor at Graceland that plays a recorded interview once Elvis was discharged and he was asked about his army experience. 
And I remember during this tour, stopping and listening to the whole thing. What I take back from it was his insistence that it was necessary to be just another soldier, because as he stated to the interviewer quite plainly, if you go in with a big attitude with your ego, you are in for two years of misery. That's how he put it. Yeah, I mean, he, he was always like that, and I think that was such an appeal that made him so popular with people, because even though he was as famous as he was, he was still approachable and normal. And I think that that was such a great appeal for people, because, yes, he was a star, but he was still one of the general public and still like them. You know, he didn't do things fancy, and he did the same things that other people wanted to do. And so I think that was a, a massive appeal, at least for me it was, too, because, I mean, we see so many stories of celebrities and stars that want to snub the fans or have nothing to do with them or, you know, they just, they, they the fame takes over and the ego takes over. And, and Elvis wasn't like that. No, he You know, that wasn't. really is unusual. And maybe that's part of the, his lasting legacy is that, you know, he wasn't a snooty kind of a guy trying to get out of things that he did just want to be like everybody else. And there was no way that he could be with all of that talent and everything that he had done with his life. So, but you look know, how great this was too, though. Even yeah. even with that, though, you know, I mean, sadly, there's no way to do this now in modern times. But Elvis, you know, would go down to the gates of Graceland or the gates of his other homes in Southern California and talk to the fans, even invite him into the home. People he doesn't even know, just fans. Bring him in, give him food, sit around and talk, maybe sing a song. You know, just, you know, who, who does that now that's a celebrity? I mean, you just don't... You know, it just can't be done that way now. It's just such a different world. But that's how Elvis did things. You know, he he knew. He knew he was where he was at because of, obviously, his talent. But he knew it was, it was because of the fans. And so he always stopped. He gave that autograph. He took that picture. He hung out with the fans. And, you know, he was always giving back. I want to ask you a question that we have never talked about before. We've touched a little bit on Priscilla and the fact that he had met her when she was very young. They got married in 1967 and divorced in 73. And I'm wondering if you have any insight or knowledge about why he divorced her when he was so incredibly in love with her. Well, she was actually. Or did she divorce him? Yeah, she, she actually put in for the divorce. Um, well, you know, Elvis was Elvis, and Elvis loved women, and uh, the women loved Elvis. And so, uh, you know, he wasn't, wasn't faithful in his marriage, and, and that was a big problem. And the fact, too, that, you know, Elvis had a, a large entourage that typically were always with him 24 hours a day, a lot of them even living in the same homes with Elvis. And uh, it's kind of hard to uh, have a normal marriage when you have an entourage with you 24 hours a day and when you're on tour all the time or making movies and not there. I mean, you know, there's, there's no way Elvis was going to be a, a stay-at-home husband and father and, and try to have a normal life. I mean, that just wasn't going to be that way. So it, they had, it sadly they had lived, ended, but yeah. Priscilla and Elvis stayed best friends until the end. They just they couldn't did. be married. Okay, because they did have Lisa Marie, but... Um, but I'm thinking, you know, if his fame, that lifestyle would have been very, very hard to live. 
I mean, he's there, but, you know, wife and children, that, that's pretty hard for them to accept a lot of strangers in the house and his inviting people in off the street because they're fans and things like that. If, if she's worried about her daughter and would like to have a more normal life, I mean, she, how could she have ever thought there would be a normal life? Yeah, it, it just wasn't going to be that way. And, uh, they, and on both sides, I think they sadly saw that in the end. But like I said, I'm, they did stay best of friends till the very end. So it was a, a very amicable uh, situation for them. Okay, well, good. Thank you. I would like to go back to the beginning with Elvis, if you will, Corey. Tell us what you know about the family dynamics, Elvis and his relationship with his beloved mother, the relationship with his father, and even the relationship, which, believe it or not, under the circumstances seems strange to say, but an ongoing relationship with his dead brother. Elvis survived, his brother did not, and all of this seemed to be well, it's not, and it's, it's not a stretch to say it seems to have haunted Elvis the rest of his life. Sure. I mean, Elvis was an only child. His brother was a twin brother. Jesse Guerin was stillborn. Elvis was born about a half hour later. Um, because of that, it, it, you know, it, it formed a very you know, strong and thick bond with his mother, Gladys, and she was very uh, domineering and protective of Elvis, I mean, just like any mother would be, but in that situation, being an only child and going through what they did, it made that bond even stronger. And, you know, and plus, they were dirt poor. I mean, you, you've seen that little house in Tupelo, how tiny that is. And even the money that they had gotten a loan for to build that house, they defaulted on and ended up losing the house. And then during that time, uh, Elvis's father, Vernon, alters a check, gets sent to Parchment Penitentiary, you know, Elvis is a little child is left to be at home with his mom. That began strengthen the bond, and uh, yeah, just a a crazy, crazy dynamic. But uh, wow, talk about the how, perfect example of success, though. I mean, dirt poor to who he became. How old was Elvis when his father went to prison? Oh, he was really young. He was like three years old. Okay, and I think it needs to be pointed out that. Vern Presley was not intent on just committing crime. He probably didn't want to do that at all. He was a desperate man while the depression was on in a dusty Delta town. He was trying to find a way to feed his family. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, you know, Vernon had numerous odd jobs here and there, and so did Elvis's mother. I mean, that's actually, you know, why they moved from Tupelo to Memphis in 1948 was because the job prospects were a lot better than Memphis than they would be in Tupelo. So that's that's how the Presleys ended up in Memphis. And when they made that trip, it changed everything in such a fundamental way. And Elvis acknowledges this. In Tupelo, they're, with the buildings put together, they don't naturally fit together. It's been a, created as a tableau, including the first church where Elvis sang. It's all on the same grounds. People are in Tupelo, Mississippi. You should go see it. <laughs> that would be the reason for people to be in Tupelo, pretty much. But uh, in the case of, of this display, there is an interview that Elvis gave that is uh, posted. There, They put it up on a kiosk, and you can read how it was for them in those days. And Elvis said, as he told the interviewer, we were broke, man, just broke. And his father decided that they had to go to Memphis if they were going to have any chance at a decent life in these very desperate circumstances of the Depression. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and the money aspect like that was a very st- big stronghold with Vern and his father and uh, Elvis and him would butt heads uh, numerous times over Elvis's lifetime about money because Elvis was just you know generous and liberal with his money and just you know on a whim go buy a you know a handful of cars or whatever he wanted to do you know and Elvis was like hey you know I'll make more money it'll be okay but Vernon was you know from that era and went through that time knowing how their humble beginnings were so uh, it, it was a bone of contention between both of them their entire lifetimes. Boy, and I can well understand that too, because um, yeah, when you got it, you want to spend it. But if you've lived through those hard times, you know you also want to save it. So I can see the 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 problem there easily. I'm curious to know, Corey, how was it that Colonel Tom Parker, not even in this country legally, managed to become so deeply embedded in Elvis's awareness of his possibilities and found a way to manage him and quite profitably for himself did Colonel Parker for a a number of years, even when people close to him, people in Elvis world were urging him to fire Colonel Parker. Yeah. And with me, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Colonel Parker. And and if you guys haven't heard, uh, you know, Tom Hanks is going to be playing Colonel Parker in an upcoming Elvis movie. Oh my God. I can't yeah, wait I, I for mean, that. That's an odd cast casting pick for me. I, I don't see Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, but it's, he's going to be in that movie. But uh, yeah, Colonel Parker was a, was an odd fellow for sure. And uh, for me, I think just about everything that he did well for Elvis, he did something just as bad or even worse for Elvis. You know, Colonel Tom always took care of himself first before his one and only client. And um, you know, before. He managed Elvis. He managed, you know, Eddie Arnold and Hank Snow. And, you know, he'd been a carnival performer and a dog catcher in Florida. You know, his name wasn't even Tom Parker that was given to him by a a governor that was a friend of his. And he was just kind of a shifty, shadowy figure that was uh, very intimidating to a lot of people. And uh, he he truly ran Elvis' career as a business. And, uh, he just I, I think when Elvis got out of the Army in 1960, if he would have gotten rid of Colonel Tom Parker as his manager, maybe things could have been a little different for Elvis because he really made some weird decisions. And uh, so, I mean, that's, that's always going to be debatable, the people that are for and against Tom Parker. But, you know, Elvis was very loyal and thought, you know, this guy's been with me almost from the beginning. Because, you know, Elvis didn't have Colonel Tom Parker from the very beginning. I mean, he was he managed by two or three other people, well, Scotty Moore, his guitar player, was one of them that managed him for a little while, and then another man named Bob Neal. And it was during the early beginnings that Colonel Tom Parker became aware of Elvis. So Elvis was already on his way to be the superstar he was. And, you know, Colonel Tom didn't make Elvis. He was already on that trajectory as it was. But, uh, yeah, a lot of of shady dealings. Colonel Tom is a very interesting and, and odd fellow when you delve into his history and you you're giving me new news that tom hanks will play him sign me up i've got to see that in particular i imagine in this movie i'm guessing i just found out about it and here i am guessing i wouldn't be surprised if tom hanks plays the character beautifully because that's who he is no matter what he does but also there is that aspect of colonel parker that could read elvis presley so 
intently, so acutely that he was slick. He insisted that if Elvis was going to fire him as his manager, he would only accept it if Elvis did it to his face. Yeah, and there were numerous times where Elvis and Parker would bicker and and have arguments and disagree. And, and there was you know a couple times where Elvis actually had fired him, but of course Elvis was loyal and and that you know he never went all the way through with that. And Colonel Tom would always, you know, Elvis would fire him, and then Colonel Tom would present him with paperwork saying how much money that Elvis owed him if he got rid of him as his manager. So, you know, that never occurred. I mean, Colonel Tom stayed there all the way up to the end. Was he actually a colonel? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, crazy, isn't it? Andreas Van Kuyk was his real name, and uh, he ends up with Colonel Tom Parker as his name. I always he heard left. that he was less of a colonel than Colonel Sanders. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting with this movie that they're doing, though, with Tom Hanks. I mean, Tom Hanks will, of course, do his fantastic performance like he always does, but it just, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they make him look like Colonel Tom, because if anybody knows what Colonel Tom Parker looks like, it, Tom Hanks is the complete opposite. So this will be very interesting. Well, yes, after all, you know, movie magic being what it is, they made Gary Oldman look like Winston Churchill, so anything is possible. Yep, there you go. You know, and, <laughs> and obviously it's going to be a big budgeted movie if they got Tom Hanks on board, so I'm sure it'll be well done. I'm just not oh, sure how, how much they'll delve into Colonel Tom's past because the movie's being done with, with the blessing of the estate, and sometimes the estate kind of whitewashes a lot of facts when it, when it involves Parker. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that storyline. And I guess it, it should be mentioned, and we've talked about this before, Corey, so once again, if you were going to negotiate with Colonel Parker, be prepared to leave the encounter wearing a barrel with the suspenders because you could tell it better than me. What was his financial arrangement with Elvis Presley? Well, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, nobody has this deal, I don't think, uh, before then or after that. But after 1967, uh, they redid their contracts, and Colonel Parker was was making 50% of what Elvis was making. And all the expenses came out of Elvis's end, not the Colonel's. And also you'll see in almost every one of the movies, you'll see on there it'll say technical advisor and it'll say Colonel Tom Parker. Now, he did that for himself, too, because he got a $50,000 bonus by having that credit on there for those movies. So, and, you know, it's just, it's just in, in, insane the amount of dealings that went on when it involved Colonel Parker. And Elvis was the good guy. I really get that about Elvis. If you go, and again, I make uh, reference to Graceland, you go through the exhibits... There are plenty of them. And on the wall, they have framed checks, not reproductions, the actual checks, every one of them for $1,000 that Elvis gave to various charities. If they put the arm on Elvis, they got a check for exactly $1,000, and he gave this money rather liberally. Yeah, that was, you know, like, again, he endeared himself with the fans because of how generous he was. And just, just in Memphis, Tennessee alone, every year, Elvis donated to over 50 charities. That's incredible. There, I wonder about today, because 
uh, it may not have been true back in the day, certainly not to the extent that it is today, but these stars surround themselves, if they're smart, with good gatekeepers. You really have to jump through some hoops to have any access to the people who are famous in show business today. Yeah, and, and Elvis definitely was not like that. I mean, he would read the newspaper and hear a story of somebody's, you know, dire straight situation and, you know, off went a check or off went a... Uh, you know, a, a brand new motorized wheelchair, or you know, off went uh, a check for clothing, or check for food, or tornado relief, or whatever it was. I mean, he he was always giving back to the fans because he always remembered why he was where he was at. I wish everyone would do that. As we we've got about three minutes left here, Corey. So uh, to bring things toward the tragic conclusion, but we'll, lots of love for Elvis. We understand that the man, after all, was only human. What was it, as far as you've been able to determine, Corey, that took Elvis on this path of not treating his body very well, and as a result, ballooning in weight and then trying to fight back against this obesity, including with the use of drugs, and ultimately it seems that it did him in? Well, sadly it did. I mean, you got to think about it. Look at at us, just normal citizens in the world, you know, and look at all the difficulties and the stress and anxiety and the situations that a normal human being goes through. Now, make that that you're the most famous entertainer in the history of music and all the pressure that's put upon you. So, I mean, you know, we sit around and lament sometimes ourselves. Can you imagine being in that position and all the people that are counting on you and, and all the, the commitments you've made? And, you know, and, and Elvis... You know, not that it made it any less dangerous, but, you know, Elvis was getting prescribed legal medication from doctors. And so, you know, he, he tricked himself into thinking that it would be okay because it was from doctors. And it's a, it's a, a sad tale of, of a learning experience for people because uh, just because they're legal doesn't mean they're any less dangerous. And that's what he did, you know. He, he needed stuff to calm down and relax and try to sleep and, you know, he was a bad sleeper. He was a sleepwalker. I mean, he just, uh, he got in a, in a terrible rut with that, and sadly, that's what ended up being his demise. And today, in 2021, you will see by the end of this new year, Elvis Presley will once again, he is so beloved, and the productivity of his life, his creativity, is such that even now, he is ranked among the best-selling performers year after year. Yeah, isn't that insane? I love that fact. And I love that in, in 2002, 25 years after he'd passed away, he had the, the number two biggest selling song of the year when they did the uh, that remix of Little Less Conversation. I just thought that was fantastic. It was a good remix. It was great to get Elvis back out there. And 25 years after he'd passed away, he had the second biggest selling song of the year. I mean, that, that and, says a lot. And that's where we'll leave it today. Thank Elvis you for forever. being with us, Corey, on this um, birthday anniversary. 86. I got it right that's this time. Thank you guys again. It's always fun to be on. And hey, the fans, even if you're not a fan, get into Elvis. Watch those movies. Watch those live performances. Put on the Aloha from Hawaii concert. Listen to some Elvis tunes. And, and get into everything Elvis. I think you'll enjoy time it. Time well spent. Thank you, Corey. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Stay Coming tuned up. for Jupiter Rising. Eileen Grimes is back once again. Have yourselves a great weekend, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>